0: Alright, good morning family. Uh, for those that don't know, my name is Trevor Allen. I'm the church planting apprentice here at Resurrection OC. Uh, this morning marks the beginning of Advent, the season when we get to anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus and we get to celebrate his already becoming incarnate and dwelling among us as one who took on flesh and as our conquering king and as our ultimate sustainer and comforter of our hearts. This morning we'll be looking at Jesus as as a servant himself, as a servant who lovingly came and who obediently shared life and words of sustenance with us in the midst of extreme trial and persecution. So if you would, would you turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 50? Um, Isaiah is just to the right of the Psalms and just to the left of Jeremiah. So there are your two Old Testament big anchors. Uh, if you hit Jeremiah, do you turn, and if you hit the Psalms, go the other way. Uh, Isaiah's right in the middle uh, of those two. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 11. Uh, after you've turned there, would you stand with me as we read God's word? I'll read God's word for us, but let's stand together and have a posture of receiving and hearing and being changed by the word of God as we stand. It says this, Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 11. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God Yahweh helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of His servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on His God. Behold, all you who kindle fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches... Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? King Jesus, you promise in this passage that you would uh, give us words of comfort, that you have the words to sustain us as your people. Lord, we hear your word this morning. I ask that you would continue to transform us. Don't let us walk away from this place uh, with more information about the book of Isaiah or uh, the intricacies of Old Testament prophecy or the gospel, Lord. Don't let it just be informational, but let them transform our hearts, Lord. Let your word sustain and comfort us that we would take these words of sustenance and comfort and bring them to a dark and hurting world. Holy Spirit, guard my mouth, guard the hearing of your church. Let us rejoice in you fully in word and spirit and truth. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Please have a seat. So back in the summer of uh, 2015, my wife and I and our two kids uh, were in our apartment building and went down and checked the mail, and I got this letter in the mail that said, it was from our landlord, and it essentially said, Hey, you have sixty days to move out because my family's moving back. Uh, this was—we were in Santa Maria at the time, and so uh, you know we go into you know the whole process, right? Like panic mode. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And during this time, Noel and I didn't have much money. We're not rolling in it now by any means, but you know we, back then we really didn't. So uh, what we did was we we packed up all of our stuff, we put all of our non-essentials into storage, and then we moved into my parents' house. Uh, my parents lived right down the street, and it wasn't into their house. It was technically the converted room in their garage we moved into. So the four of us stayed in that little converted garage for three months. During that time, Noel was an office administrator, and I was working construction. And in that process, the Lord actually called me to be a youth pastor in, or a youth director in South Carolina. So we packed up all of our stuff that was already packed up, put it on a U-Haul truck, and drove across the country. For three and a half years, we were there. We were in this you know, beautiful 1,700-square-foot house, uh, the backyard, like the two-car garage. It was, it was this beautiful, beautiful place. And then uh, after three and a half years of being there, the Lord said, Oh, you know what? Actually, I want you to be a church planting apprentice. So we did the process again. We packed up all of our stuff. We put it back into storage. We put our house onto the market. Uh, the house sold in two days. That was really unexpected. So it uh, sold in March, and we couldn't move until May. So during that time, we went and lived in two other places. Uh, we basically lived out of suitcases for a couple months and then moved back across the country. Uh, I'm sure you can imagine the... Uh, and, and so. Fast forward a little bit more here. Uh, We're May 2019. We moved to Mission Viejo in our 970 square foot apartment, two bedrooms. Uh, You can imagine the purging that had to take place from 1700 to 970. Uh, That was tough, and we keep telling our kids don't jump, don't run, don't yell, don't scream, don't cook too loud, you know, all these things. It was a lot. It was a lot coming from there and then coming to here. And now if you went and stood in our apartment here in Mission Viejo, you would see empty bookshelves. You would see a bunk bed that has been taken apart. You would see boxes packed up again for another move that we have. Another move that has taken us to Ventura, California, which hopefully, Lord willing, this will be our permanent location where uh, the Lord will use us to plant a church up in Ventura. That is where he's bringing us, and, and that is where we're going. So uh, taking all this into consideration, we had, over this span of time, we had there were arrests in our family, there were addictions in our family, there were deaths in our family. There is uh, the, the tension between friends and family and bosses and neighbors and all of these things. Everything is piling onto us in this three-and-a-half-year period. Every, it just feels like the weight of the world is crushing down on us. We had to raise $250,000 to do this church planting apprenticeship in six months, and I had zero experience and almost zero training. Um, you add on top of that, we're trying to raise two kids, and they're moving around with us too. So basically in, in, that, in four years, we've moved seven times. And Lord willing, this will be the last one for a, a while. Um... The Lord taught us, taught my wife and I, how to grow in humility. He taught us how to grow in repentance, and he taught us how to grow in faith. And during all of this struggle, Jesus became the anchor for us. But here's the thing, though, you guys, is our story is not that unique, is it? I'm sure if you had a microphone in 20 minutes, you could come up here and share stories of uh, personal struggle of pain, of emotional isolation, of depression, of anxiety, of stress, of no money, of having to move quickly. This, this struggle is not unique to us. All of us in this room share some aspect of this, even though your story may not look like ours. But here's the thing. The reason I share my struggle, the point of sharing that struggle with you is not to get a pat on the back, but it is to point you to the one who has given us so much comfort who has given us so much sustenance. Just because we had Jesus, it does not mean that our problems ceased, but it means that we had food for the journey. It means that we had comfort and nourishment and compassion and care in these past couple of years and even on into the next season of our lives. So in Isaiah chapter 50, there is a sermon of God that Isaiah talks about. The point of this passage is to proclaim to God's people throughout all of the ages that there is one who has suffered. There is one in the midst of anguish and in the midst of persecution and in the midst of trials, and none of them caused by himself, but as the perfect, obedient lamb. Jesus Christ himself lived perfectly obedient. And I look back on my four and a half years of this pain and struggle and persecution at times and uh, ask anybody, I have not lived obediently and perfectly. So this passage is kind of a larger one. If I had to boil it down into one little bite-sized nugget that you could stick in the back of your pocket and take with you for the rest of this week, this is our big idea this morning, church. This is Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 11, rolled up into a little sentence. And this is our big idea. We can trust the sovereign servant and his sustaining words. If you're a note-taker, write it down. If you like tattoos, get it printed somewhere on your body this is our big idea that we can trust the sovereign servant and his sustaining words that is our big idea today so if we jump into the passage uh isaiah was one of the most well-known prophets of the old testament his words, his ministry was about 2,500 years ago. And if you want to place it in the, the chronology of Scripture, Isaiah was writing toward the end of the book of 2 Kings. This is when all of those mad kings were not listening to the Lord, and they were all going into battle and killing each other and rebelling against God and blaspheming. Isaiah is writing during this time. The, late, uh, the, the early 700s, late 600s B.C., so in order to help give you a little bit more context, imagine with me, pretend for a moment that you are a an Israelite, that you are a member, you're a a uh, a family member of the tribe of Judah and you were part of the southern kingdom of Israel during the time of Isaiah's writing. The southern kingdom of Israel watched as the northern kingdom of Israel was taken over by the Assyrians, that ten tribes were destroyed. They knew they watched their brothers and sisters, their kinsmen up north get destroyed, and the southern tribe of Judah knew that they were next, that judgment had already been passed on them. In the midst of this, they knew that Judah knew, the southern tribe knew that there would be bloodshed. They knew that there would be capture. They knew that there would be imprisonment. They knew that they would lose all of their property. They knew that they would lose their houses. They knew this because they rebelled against God himself. These words that Isaiah wrote in chapter fifty were not written in some vacuum he was not some hipster in a starbucks you know with his macbook computer coming up with some fun poetry he's writing these words to a dying and dire nation these words are words of comfort the lord god made a covenant with israel and israel broke that covenant with them and here's the thing is, all of this anguish and torment and destruction that's taking place of the southern and northern tribes of Israel, they actually, they actually deserve it. Because they rebelled against God. Because they turned their backs from the very life giver himself, they chose to go their own way. But in the book of Isaiah, God does not divorce the nation. He does not turn away from them and say, no, you have rebelled against me, now I'm turning my back on you forever because you didn't do what I told you to. He could have easily given them a certificate of divorce and sent them away, but He didn't do that. The first three verses of Isaiah 50 say that to us. And then the rest of the book of Isaiah, it talks about how the Lord proclaims that there are truths of this expected Messiah. That there will be a world without war where shalom and peace will flow from the throne of God like Niagara Falls pouring out all over his people. He offers comfort and he offers sustenance and he gives people this love and compassion in the midst of all of these, in the midst of their madness and in the midst of their rebellion. But here's the question that we have to ask though as a a room how are the people of Judah to grasp these hope-filled promises? How do they go from being these rebellious uh, people against God to taking all of these other great promises that are in the book of Isaiah? Where do we go in the midst of our rebellion? When we rebel and we have all of these consequences coming on us, these, these disciplines, where do we go for comfort? Where do we go for sustenance? It says uh, at the end of this chapter of Isaiah, um, Isaiah asks us a question. He asks a question to the reader. He says this, Is there anyone who will fear God and listen to the voice of his servant? He's asking that to us today as well. Is there anyone who will fear God and listen to the voice of his servant? And this is our big idea again, remember church, that we can trust the sovereign servant, and his sustaining words. If you'll look with me, we'll keep exploring why this big idea actually matters and how this can change our Mondays. If you look in uh, Isaiah 50, verse 4, it says this, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with the word who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. This is, in Isaiah, there are four servant songs. This is the third of four. And this this servant song is unique. One reason I chose this servant song for our sermon today at the coming of Advent is because this is the only servant song where the servant himself speaks in the first person. We get to hear from the sovereign servant who gives sustenance and comfort to his people. We get to hear from his mouth directly from his mouth that is for us how do we know though that this who is this sovereign servant is the question i mean if you've been in church for more than two weeks in your entire life you know the jesus answer right the sunday school answer oh it's jesus right like the sunday school answer is always jesus 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 but how do we know that this is jesus how do we know that without just making an assumption and and christianizing some old testament passage well the thing is in Acts chapter 8, there's the Ethiopian eunuch. I don't know if you guys remember the story, but there's the Ethiopian eunuch who's actually reading the scroll of Isaiah. And in it, he reads this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. That is the fourth servant song in the book of Isaiah that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading in the New Testament. And as the Ethiopian asked, he asked the Apostle Philip this question. He says, is the prophet talking about himself, or is he talking about someone else? In Acts chapter 8, verse 35, this is what Philip says. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip took this fourth servant's song. And he explains to the Ethiopian eunuch that this servant's song is about Jesus Christ himself. And not only is the fourth, but so is the third, and the second, and the first, so we can have confidence that this Isaiah chapter 50 verses 4 through 11 is about Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is that prophesied sovereign servant who delivers words of comfort to us, his weary people. This is the great truth of our religion you guys. This is the great truth that the the great truth that we can affirm as a church is that God himself became a man. Like think about that for a second. First you have to realize that God is real. Second, you have to realize that God became a man. He took on our sore backs. He took on our sickness and our infirmities and our weaknesses. Jesus had ingrown toenails and dandruff. Think about that. Jesus took on humanity. The sovereign servant knows these words that we need because he has walked in our shoes. He knows first and foremost, the words that will give us comfort and sustenance because he walked where we have walked. He's not just talking about this from some ivory tower, but he's saying, I've been with you. I know the dirt that goes in between your toes, and I know the anger that will boil up in your hearts, and I've seen the sin that surrounds you, my people. Jesus walks where we have walked and how he can give us words of sustenance and comfort because he's been there. God, instead of casting out the people of Judah, instead of casting us, his church out, what he does is he pursues us and he comforts us. So visualize this with me for a second, that uh, you tell somebody to do something I mean, right, we, we've all been there. We tell somebody, say it's at work or school or it's with your kids or especially with your spouse, That's always the best. Like, if you have said, don't do this thing, and then they go ahead and they do it anyways, and then it turns out bad for them. Uh, maybe I'm the only person that thinks this, but the first thing that pops into my mind is, how I told you so. Like, you know, I, I told you not to do that. And, and that, all that does is that feeds and reiterates my pride and says, look how smart I am, and look how you should have listened to me. And, and I, I jump to, I run to vindicating myself and saying, ah, I told you not to do that, I told you so. Is that not like some of our favorite language to use? In the text, Judah is rebelling against God. God said, do not do this. And Judah says, I'm going to do this anyways. And so this is what God does, right? God says, ha, I told you so. The only reason you're weary right now is because you didn't listen to me, you moron. So now you're going to go get taken away forever and I'm going to forget about you. See you later. I'm going to go find a new people. That's absolutely not what God, Yahweh, the sovereign king, the sovereign servant, the one who comforts and sustains us. He does not say that to his people back then, and he does not say that to us now. God does not say, ha, I told you so. Jesus, the sovereign servant, this is what he says to us as his people. Listen with me as I read Matthew 11. It says, all things have been handed over to me by my father. and my burden is light this is that sovereign servant friends from isaiah chapter 50 that is talked about in matthew 11 all the way on to advent and into the new heavens and the new earth this is what he says to us as his people he doesn't say ha i told you so he says come to me all who are labor all who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest verses 5-8 through of this Isaiah 50 passage help us understand and see more clearly who this servant is. Listen to this. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me." Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Back in the early 2000s, in the summer, Uh, I was getting picked up from baseball practice. One of my friends, uh, I was on this baseball team. It was in sixth grade, going into seventh grade. And one of my friends, his older brother, who was super cool, he came and picked us up from practice. And so as we got out of the truck and like, you know, we went to CVS. This is in Santa Maria. Uh, We we go into CVS and we get, you know, those big iced teas. And we go sit on the back of the truck and we're just sitting there talking about how good we are lying about how good we are about baseball and things like that. And, and then his brother turns to me and says, do you want one? And I turn around, and you know I'm perplexed, and his brother's like the coolest guy in the world, and whatever he has for me, like, yeah, of course I want one, you know? And he's offering me a cigarette. At 12 years old, he's oh, almost 12, I think, he's offering me my first cigarette. And I turn, and then all of a sudden I have this flood of teaching, fill my mind all of my from what my parents have said from what doctors have said from what teachers have said from what you know uh the the tv has said like sometimes tv doesn't lie um sometimes all this teaching came flooding back into my mind and i knew that if i smoked that cigarette that I would be walking in rebellion to what is good for my body, that I would be rebelling against all of this good teaching, these words of sustenance and comfort that people have been teaching me for years. I knew that if I took uh, that first cigarette, I would be rebelling against all of that. And praise God, what I did was I turned to him. And I said, no, I, I don't want one. And it was amazing. In that moment, all this teaching came flooding back to me, and I made this righteous and good decision. And it was, it was absolutely beautiful. And then after about 15 minutes of being made fun of and ridiculed and punched, I smoked my first cigarette in that CVS parking lot. I said no for 15 minutes. I did what was righteous and good for 15 minutes until I got persecuted. Until the whips and the slaps and the spits started coming toward me, I said, you know, don't just give me one, I'll smoke the whole thing. This is a picture of this sovereign servant. Jesus, who in the midst of persecution, in the midst of tension and humility and threats, in the midst of certain death that was promised him on the cross, he lived perfectly obedient to God. Jesus was not rebellious to the words that he had been given. Jesus was never fazed by these outward persecutions because he knew the words that he possessed were the very words of life themselves. And this, this torment, this pain that Jesus had, it was actual, it was real, it was physical pain that he was feeling. And it wasn't pain delivered because he started following God, it was pain multiplied because of his obedience to the Lord. It says that his beard was pulled out. Can you imagine being so close to your enemy that your beard is being plucked out of your face? Think about how humiliating that is to have your enemy so close to you that he can pull your facial hair out. And not only that, as your facial hair is being pulled out, Jesus, the sovereign servant, is being spit on. So blood and spit are being mixed together on the sovereign servant's face. Yet he does not turn. He's not phased by this. Jesus knows that he will be vindicated. It says in verses 7 and 9 this is the important thing to see. Jesus is humiliated and he's struck physically. But verses 7 and 9, the beginning, say this But the Lord God helps me. That's Yahweh. That's the Lord God from Exodus chapter 3 that delivered his people, the one that promises throughout all of time and eternity that we will be his people and he will be our God. It says, But the Lord God helps me. Jesus himself knows that he will be vindicated. And as as the New Testament church, we can see that vindication. We can trust these sovereign words of Jesus. We know that he is vindicated because we can see the cross. We can see that Jesus was spit on and scourged and crucified and torn apart for us. And we can see that in his resurrection that he was vindicated. Now it is Christ himself who rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father and He loves His church and He gives His church comfort, we can trust the sovereign servant and His sustaining words. The prophet lays before the people of Judah a servant who is obedient. A servant who brings them these words and even today as we're reading this as a church, it is a testament to the obedience of Christ that we put our trust in. Do not put your trust in me who can't even be called a couple names and gets called to smoke a cigarette. Don't put your trust in Jason for his olive oil voice, or you know, Eric back there running the slides. We don't have it. Isaiah himself did not have it. He says in Isaiah chapter six that he is a man of unclean lips. And it's not, it's not Isaiah himself. And it's not the remnant that's talked about in the book of Isaiah either. Because if the remnant had these words of sustenance and comfort, they would have delivered them to the people of Israel. But they didn't. Verse 10 says this, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? To obey the voice of the servant means to obey the voice of... Of God Himself. Jesus is this divine servant king who walked in the place of us as God's rebellious people. He walked in our place. Jesus did what Adam and Eve could not do. He did what Noah and Moses and Abraham and David and the prophets could not do. He did what the church today could not do. Jesus was punished. And he was tormented on our behalf. He took on our rebellion and he gave us all of his goodness. So now we are looked at as if we have gone through life perfectly obedient to the persecutions of following the Lord Jesus and the words of God. When Jesus looks at me, he sees somebody that's batting a thousand because his life has been given to me and he's taken away all of my badness and he's given me all of his goodness. It is the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the rule, the reign, and the return of Jesus Himself that we can trust in. It is in His words, and in His words alone, by the power and by the grace of the Holy Spirit who even now sustains us, that we as a church are able to live lives of obedience. That we are able to receive these words of comfort and sustenance. It is the grace of God, friends. It is not your perfect Bible reading checklist that you've read through the Bible in a year or helping you know, old people cross the street or you know filling up shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child or whatever. It is the work of Jesus Christ Himself and it is the grace of the Holy Spirit that we are able to live lives of obedience. That these words of sustenance and comfort are ministered to our very hearts. But here's a word of warning in verse 10. Oh, this is not the word of warning. Verse 11 is the word of warning. Verse 10, this is a picture of us as the church today. Listen to this. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Him who walks in darkness and has no light, let him trust in the name of the Lord his God. When it gets dark... When we are overcome, when we are overwhelmed, even when we are uh, when we feel blah about life, when when everything just feels gray and drab and dreary, when we are filled with anxiety or fear, or if we are overwhelmed with joy and swelled with pride, this is a darkness that we can have trust in this Jesus who gives us these words no matter what your life is like, no matter where you are right now in this life, if it's completely dark or if it is sunshine and rainbows for you, we can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the name of the Lord. Verse 11, this is, our word of, this is our solemn warning. Behold, all of you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have for my hand that you shall lie down in torment. Those that try to create their own way, those that try to... Uh, have this counterfeit words of encouragement where do we run if we don't run to jesus for sustenance where do we run when it's not christ for comfort when we do this these are the torches that we try to make ourselves here that isaiah talks about we say lord you can't do it for me i'm going to fabricate my own comfort and my own sustenance and isaiah says that this you have for my hand that you shall lie down in torment So friends, the very torches that we make, the fires that we light by trying to have this counterfeit sustenance and comfort, these are actually the lights to our execution. This is the fire that will consume us. This is the torment that God says that you will have if you try to go anywhere else except Him for true comfort and true sustenance. Isaiah says it himself, so we can rehearse this and we can rehearse often in church that we can trust the sovereign servant and his sustaining words. And just to put this at ease for everybody as well, we all try to do this, do we not? We all try to make our own little torches at times. We do not have a perfect record. But when we do, we, as we're in Christ, we can put our little torches down and we can run back to that king who dwells now in unapproachable light. We don't have to walk around with our torches strapped to our back as these pictures of guilt and shame, but we can drop our own torch making and we can run back to Christ himself. Here's a picture for us in 2 Corinthians 5. We'll we'll close with this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, this is a picture for us today. as Not only as people that receive, sustenance and comfort from the Lord Jesus, but as those that have been equipped to share with others. this sustenance and comfort. It says this, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. We are not alone in our suffering church. We do not have to come up with our own words of comfort and we don't have to fabricate our own sustenance. It has been given to us by Christ himself and now we are able to open ourselves up to each other and encourage each other that I can say with you, this is my suffering. And you can say to me, here is the comfort of Christ. And we do this together as a body in unity of the Spirit. This is how our church is strengthened. This is how this sovereign servant came and gave us his words, the words to his bride. He loves us more than anything in the entire world. So as I begin with all of these things going on with the house moving, as a church right now, if we are filled with anxiety if we're struggling with anorexia, if we are enduring a job loss, if we have boss issues, if we have family problems or broken marriages, if there have been suicides in your past, I can say this with absolute confidence, that there is no weariness so large that the sovereign servant will go mute. There is no weariness so large That the sovereign servant will go mute. Our words may not, the words of Christ may not fix the situation that we're in, but it will give us comfort for the situation that we're in. The circumstance may not go away, and we may not win the lottery tomorrow but we have sustenance and we have comfort for the journey along the way. And during Advent season, we have a future hope in the Christ, in the resurrected Christ who will come back for his church. The Christ who took on flesh and dwelt among us is the same Jesus who will be coming back on a white horse to not only vindicate himself, but to vindicate his people. So we need to remember and share liberally with ourselves, with our family, with our friends and our neighbors, a lot, a ton this week, church. Remember this, that we can trust the sovereign servant and his sustaining words. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for sending your son Lord Jesus, I thank you for being obedient to the point of death on the cross, that you would come and take away all of our badness and give us all of your goodness. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you have come and you've sustained us with these words of Christ. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ alone. Holy Spirit, minister the words of the scriptures to our hearts. Let us see more clearly this sovereign servant who comes with sustaining words. And Lord, equip us to share with each other and to equip each other with words of comfort and peace this season. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus, for your glory. Amen.